Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Today, Merritt Paulson, the vocal owner of the Portland Timbers and Thorns, joins me to discuss why he wanted to become a soccer owner, whether he considers himself a soccer expert, his controversial Twitter persona, we recorded this before his Twitter outburst during Orlando, Portland, and his contention that there aren't any MLS owners who would be open to promotion and relegation. The idea that that U.S. men's national team or U.S. Uh, player pool would be better if we had promotion and relegation, which is an argument I hear some of the people in this sort of pond that's about an inch deep but makes a lot of noise um, and pushes for that um, uh, makes is is, a, is also a, a complete farce. All that and more coming up. Our guest today is the owner of the Portland Timbers of MLS and the Portland Thorns of the NWSL. Merritt Paulson became a soccer owner in 2009, and now he owns two teams in arguably the most fervent soccer city in America. He's also the first MLS owner to come on our podcast. Merritt, thanks for joining me. Is that true? I'm the first MLS owner on your podcast? Let's just say Bob Kraft hasn't come on yet. Should I be scared? This might might not be a good thing for me. (laughs) No, this is a very good thing. I think we're going to get Rob Heinemann uh, on at some point. uh, one of the the younger. Well, Rob always Rob always follows me in everything I do, so <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> at least one of the younger generation, I think, will get on besides you at some point. But great to have you on, and lots to talk about. Uh, soccer's in full swing, obviously, uh, with MLS and lots of stuff going on around the world. And I wanted to start though by sort of stepping back and asking you the question. Why did you want to become a professional soccer owner in the first place? Wow. Um, you know, look, I, I, I would say that there are few businesses where you can impact the city like you can in professional sports in, in terms of what you can do for a community, uh, you know, the the just in terms of civic pride. Uh, and I like the accountability and the, the competition, you know, that comes with being in such a transparent role. I uh, love it. I never thought I could become a professional soccer owner. I, I had been fairly focused on running uh, a business in sports or entertainment and uh, the idea that I could ever get my family on board with actually owning a sports team, I think that would have been a long shot. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's ended up working out really, really well. And, you know, I just kind of pinch myself uh, every now and then and say, geez, especially on days where I think I'm, I'm having really bad days or, uh, you know, really upset about team performance and say, you know, these are, these are kind of champagne problems. Um, you know, this is this is a pretty amazing position to have. Well, and also you got into MLS at a time when you didn't have multiple cities around the country lining up to try and be one of the teams to pay a, a hundred and fifty million dollar expansion fee like we see today. Um, you know, I actually I don't know if you know this. Uh, I've talked about it before a couple of times, but in two thousand maybe two thousand five or so, we looked at San Jose. Okay, I think I'd heard that, yeah. Um, yeah, so so I've been focused on soccer specifically because I, I, I saw the, you know, for me it was always a question of when and not if the sport exploded here. And, uh, you know, so so for me it was, it was the most interesting opportunity and also felt a little bit more entrepreneurial than, than any of the other sports because, uh, you know, the league was, was in its relative infancy. Um, and we're still able to impact change in a way that you never could coming into something like baseball. Now, you have not lived your whole life in Portland, Oregon. What have you learned about the city and about its soccer fans? Oh, a lot. I mean, I'm certainly uh, I, I'm certainly every bit a Portlander now. I mean, I've lived here for over 10 years. We moved out in May of, of, of 2007. But there's a 
there's a pride here that's unique. I mean, I think most residents in most cities, and I'm a Chicago native, which is a great sports town, uh, great, great city, um, but, but, you know, have a sense of pride for, for where they live. But I, I think in Portland, uh, it, it's, it's a little bit bigger. Um, and, you know, that's something that, that, uh, you know, I absolutely love about this spot. And, you know, I, people are, were so happy when I chose to, 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 you know, relocate here. And, and I got more, just thank you for, for being here. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, gee, I mean, that's, it's an upgrade. Um, you know, the lifestyle in Portland relative to, to anywhere on the East coast, or frankly, most spots in the country is, is terrific. But, um, you know, I, I'd say, uh, you know, there's, there's almost a little bit of a chip on Portland's shoulder as well, collectively, maybe for being, you know, a sense of being overlooked or whatever that might be. Um, where, where, you know, if I was getting more introspective, it, it sort of likes validation uh, at, at, at some level, which is, which is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, and then in terms of all the cliches and, you know, the Portlandia stuff, I, mean, I, I, will, I will tell you the drivers here are awful. The whole deal with people at the four-way stop sign and nobody wants to go, um, that's true. <laughs> I, I'm always the one who wants to go, believe it or not, Grant. But, uh, um, you know, there, there is some of that and look in this on the soccer side, I mean, what, what can I tell you that you don't know? Um, you see the passion and the electricity, uh, here. I mean, I think the thing that doesn't get played enough is the fact that, that our supporters are doing what they're doing out in the community, all the, the, the ethos of volunteerism and the projects and, and the whole operation pitch evasion, pitch invasion, where they're, where they're dedicating so many hours to building fields and, you know, helping different uh, areas that need help in, in nonprofits and everything else. I mean, the, the Army's pretty amazing in, 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 in the way they coordinate and what they do. And other supporters groups and other teams' fans do that to lesser extents. I don't think anybody does it like they do it in Portland. Your father is Hank Paulson the former chief executive at Goldman Sachs and a secretary of the Treasury under the second President Bush. In what ways has your father influenced you the most, both as a person and as a businessman? Wow. Uh, it's a tough one to answer because, you know, nobody's defined me, you know, or had a bigger influence on my life in my life than he has. I mean, he's my, he's my best friend. Uh, I, I consider him my best friend now. And, and, you know, growing up, I mean, I just, I, I count myself unbelievably lucky to have him as, as the example. I mean, everything from his work ethic, which is off the charts and he always preached, it's not necessarily the you know, the smart, smartest person who succeeds, but it's, it's, it's the one who works the hardest. And, and, um, you know, I, he actually had me, um, in high school, uh, you know, working construction sites, uh, in, in downtown Chicago, there was a guy who worked with him, who, uh, family had a construction business and I was wearing a hard hat and running around and, and doing asbestos removal and, and working on loading docks and a, whole bunch of other things which I absolutely hated at the time and I thought he was was cruel and unusual punishment but um uh you know I look back on is some of the most formative experiences uh that I've had and you know he's always had a uh, a candor to him I mean he was when he was an investment banker he wasn't a guy in a flashy suit far from it he was you know more sort of a crumpled up you know he never really cared what what people thought but he was extremely candid uh, and uh, would, would tell CEOs things that other people that were might be afraid to tell them. And, um, you know, there are elements of that that I think that have influenced me. I certainly wish I, I didn't care what people thought to the extent that, that um, he does. That confidence in his own skin is something, you know, I might not have to the extent that, that, that he does. And, you know, in terms of uh, you know, he's actually the majority owner of the team as well. I mean, I, I have a significant percentage now that I've accrued with time of ownership interest in the in the Timbers and, and the Thorns. But 
uh, you know, all decisions ultimately go through him. I don't think that probably gets talked about that much. And he's an unbelievable soccer fan. He and my mom, they don't miss any games. Um, and, you know, that's been an interesting process as well. I mean, early on, it was a lot more about the business stuff. And now it's, you know, what he cares about is winning <laughs> more than anything else. And for a guy who grew up, he was an all, uh, All-American football player and wrestler and, um, you know, he, all he watches is soccer uh, now, um, not just the Timbers, but every game in the league and um, uh, international soccer as well. Nice. I remember talking to him in Columbus when you guys won the title, and it was clear that he was really proud of the team, but also had gotten into soccer quite a bit. Um, yeah, I'd say, if you know, the other thing, if anybody and you know, people have conceptions about, you know, TARP or investment bankers or whatever, I mean, Joel Berlinger, who did the deal that eventually freed the Memphis three, um, uh, you know, did a documentary on him, which was a deep dive, which is a fairly accurate sense of who he is and who my family is. Um, you know, so I'd, I'd, I'd give that a, a quick plug. So we're going to talk about N- NWSL a little, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was saying it's called Hank five Hank. years. From break. Nice. Uh, I will check that out. Um, so I'll ask you about NWSL a little bit later on, but for now I wanted to ask, where is MLS now as a league in your opinion, and where do you think it's going? Uh, look, I mean, uh, when I think about MLS and where it is now, and just in terms of the, the, the product on the field, let's start there. Um, I don't think about the famous or infamous or however you define it mandated the you know 2022 one of the best leagues in the world by 2022 i think in terms of we got to be better than league mx mm-hmm. unquestionably we've got to be the, the the best league in our region um and uh in in south america too uh for that matter uh and you know that's something that i think is, is a goal that's achievable in the, in, in the very near term. I mean, we're making huge improvements and, uh, you know, it's starting to show and, and you're seeing it now in the, um, the champions league, the CONCACAF champions league, uh, games, who knows how they'll, they'll ultimately turn turn out. But, you know, I, that's the, the, the thing that I, that keeps me up at night and, and that I think we absolutely have to be better than, than, than Mexico, and we will be better than Mexico. I, I think we're very close um, on a more macro level in terms of business all on and off the field, relevancy and attendance and all that stuff of, of frankly, being in the big, being the, the big four conversation for this country and surpassing the NHL. And I think that's something that's an achievable goal as well. And, you know, I mean, I, I think the sky's the limit for where we can go uh, in the next 10 to 15 years, the growth potential behind the world's game finally catching hold in, in, in this market is just off the charts. And that's something that's tremendously exciting for me. You get great support in Portland for the Timbers and the Thorns. How profitable are those two teams? Well, uh, not, not very. We are profitable. Um, uh, it's, it's not like we're, we're, we're raking out, uh, millions of dollars every year. We've never, we've never taken a dime out of the team, um, for any distribution, uh, to, to our family. I mean, there's, there's so many capital needs. I mean, this year we're doing a $5 million improvement to the training facility and obviously the $60 million, uh, renovation to the stadium, but even when we're not doing things of, of that magnitude, whether it's on the player's side with spending on transfer fees or um, a host of other capital projects and upgrades, it's like a money pit. Um, so, you know, how do you measure profitability? I mean, look, from a from an operating standpoint, just a, an EBITDA standpoint, we're in the black for sure, um, but, but not by much. I mean, our revenues have quadrupled at least since since I came into the league, but so have our expenses. Okay, got it. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about other MLS owners in the league and how that whole thing works, because we don't get owners on the podcast too often. Um, who are the other MLS owners that you're closest with? 
Uh, well, I'm close to a lot of them. And, and uh, it's not just a politically correct answer. I say uh, there's really nobody I don't like, I mean, which is shocking given how many teams there are. I mean, uh, I'd say Greg Kerfoot and Adrian Hanauer are the two that I do the most uh, personally with. I mean, we're all the Pacific Northwest folks. Um, and I've known them since the both since the USL days, and so there's a, a really strong bond uh, that exists between the three of us. We talk a lot. I mean, I, obviously, you know, especially with Seattle, you know, there's a unique dynamic where, you know, I think we genuinely, while we root for each other personally, I mean, I I I watch Seattle play anybody, and I root for him to get killed and. <laughs> You know, and I think I think it's probably the same for him. And so, you know, and, and it's probably less the case with Vancouver, but but I'm very close with those guys. OK, I mean, I was wondering, there's obviously a, a newer, younger generation of MLS owners at this point. Is there more kinship between that younger generation maybe and each other than maybe some of the older guys? Um, You know, I would say that, that, that look, I mean, the, the, the bonds that were forged in fire, you know, from the crafts and the Anschutzes um, and the hunts, et cetera, that, you know, kept the league um, from going under, um, you know, in the, the early 2000s, you know, at the, at the turn of the century are, are, are going to be unique, right? I mean, they've, they've been through a whole nother level of, of, of change in, drama and challenges than, than, than we've experienced. But, you know, I, I'd say, I mean, I just spent some time skiing with Clark Hunt and, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think there's much of a divide between the, the newer group and the owner group in, uh, that exists. I mean, that might be more of a dynamic in the NWSL if I'm being pretty candid there um, than it is in MLS. But, but there's certainly owners that have different priorities and, and, and slightly different objectives, but more often than not, people are rowing in the same direction. And that's a real credit to Garber, uh, to Don Garber, um, you know, as a commissioner who's, who's sort of seen the league, you know, through all this time. Okay. So when MLS has a big owners meeting, take me in the room. What are those meetings like? How do they work? Does Don Garber run the meeting? <laughs> well, <laughs> It, 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 I'd say uh, at the outset, I mean, I, there should be a confidentiality to those meetings. And I, you know, the NFL, with all the stuff they've gone through, <laughs> Goodell, I mean, I've enjoyed reading it as a fan, but I'd be horrified if I was an owner in the NFL and, and somebody was coming out and saying, geez, I, you know, this is what the compensation committee was talking about. And this person said this and this person's, I don't know how all that, it's like a drama. And, and, it's 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 great theater and it's great entertainment. But I think, you know, just like the locker room where I'm not going to, you know, talk publicly about, you know, you know, a lot of stuff that happens with the team in the locker room. I think that has to be the case with owners. But I would say, yeah, Don runs the meetings 100 uh, percent and owners are engaged and uh, active and care deeply about this sport. And, you know, I'm very comfortable telling you that. Well, we got to get our own uh, Don Van Natta and Seth Wickersham on the soccer side. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll work on that for future written assignments. <laughs> but uh, in any case, um, Don Garber told me recently that he is in talks to extend his contract as commissioner beyond its end point at the end of this year. Uh, how would you describe Garber's tenure? Well, what, when it's all said and done... And I hope it's not done anytime soon. I'm not sure what the status of those talks are right now. I don't know how he doesn't go down into the annals of sport is one of the great commissioners of all time. Uh, I mean, just look where MLS was when he took the league over and look where it is now. And more so the, the, the sets of challenges that he's uh, navigated and dealt with on the front end when he had to sell and you know, beg people, you know, to even pay attention and get interviewed to, to now where we're managing huge TV contracts and, and, you know, so many cities competing to get in and pay big dollars to be an expansion team. 
it's a totally different skill set and set of challenges, and, and, and he's evolved, uh, you know, extremely well. So I, I would say uh, that, you know, I, I, I hope he doesn't retire soon because he's such an asset for the league, and, and I hope somebody gives him his due. Um, you know, I, I worked with David Stern at the NBA closely uh, and know Adam Silver really well, who I'm, I'm close to and think the world of. Um, you know, so I, I have some perspective on, on, on commissioners and sports outside of the, uh, you know, our own league. Uh, but, but I think that, that what Don's done is nothing short of remarkable. The owner of Miami FC, which obviously is not an MLS team, Ricardo Silva, has pushed for promotion and relegation in the U.S., and he has said that he knows that some of the owners in MLS would actually be okay, he says, with promotion and relegation. Is that accurate from your perspective? No, no, I don't think that's accurate. Um, You know, and everything that he does, he's a Silva you know, is, 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 is clearly a savvy media guy. I mean, you know, pushing out the whole, you know, media rights deal, you know, if, if we, if we uh, adopted promotion and relegation when he knew that that was something that, that could never happen due to existing contracts with the current broadcasters. I mean, it's, it's all just a, uh, you know, I, I, I think a, a, a PR deal with, with with him and uh you know when people buy into the league uh uh with the sense of of uh you know what the structure is i mean that type of seismic change would be a would, would be a pretty big deal i mean uh the idea that that u.s men's national team or u.s uh player pool would be better if we had promotion and relegation, which is an argument I hear some of the people in this sort of pond that's about an inch deep, but makes a lot of noise um, and pushes for that um, uh, makes is, is, a, is also a, a complete farce in, in my mind. Uh, you know, it's promotion and relegation is a necessity when you have a non-parity league, uh, like so many of the leagues in Europe, where you've really only got four teams who have a realistic chance to um, of, you know, Lester excluded, of course. I mean, somebody's got to realize just, I guess, lightning struck, um, you know, when that happened. But but in any in any um, normal year, you've only got four teams who can win the league. Imagine how that feels for the other, how many number of other other teams in, in, in La Liga or the EPL or Serie A or whatever it is. And, and, and so, you know, having that other element of drama, I think, is a is an important part of that league that's important part of the history. But in terms of, you know, adding pressure, um, you know, on the playing side and, and creating, uh, uh, you know, quality of players, I would disagree wholeheartedly that that's something that's had any impact on, on the development of our player pools. We're pushing the quality of this league, you know, forward pretty aggressively um, as it is um, without that. So, uh, you know, I'm sure this my answer there will get a little bit of pickup, hopefully not too much, but you know, that topic has just gotten beaten to death. That's okay. Nobody listens to this podcast. Um, But uh, wanted to ask you about uh, the MLS playoff format and you follow me on Twitter. So, you know, once playoff season starts, I have my annual uh, mini rant or suggestion that MLS change its format into a group stage uh, in the playoff involving eight different teams like we see in Confederations Cup. Yeah. Um, are you okay with the current MLS playoff format, or are you like me and thinking it should change? I, I'm not – I wouldn't say I'm okay with it because um, we've got to, to have the, the, the FIFA break, the two-week break, basically in the middle of our playoffs is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's a momentum killer. Um, I think it has an impact on on fan interest. Um, you know, we, we're not pushing playoff ratings um, forward like the NHL does and like we should be doing, um, you know, during those games. And so I think our schedule is a is a tough deal. I mean, it's such a long season and in and, and, and managing breaks and the weather and um, all the other, you know, this 
expansive geography bigger than 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 other leagues it's not easy i mean and, and and so it's a lot easier to criticize than it is to find solutions i did see your piece i thought it was interesting but you know it's something that we're taking a look at um a really close look at and we're always looking to improve um so I'd like to set something that personally speaking, I, I, I hope we're able to improve. I don't know if that's ultimately single elimination or, um, you know, w- w- what what we end up going with, you know, maybe some more midweek games. Maybe we start the season earlier. You know, I'd also say that we made changes to the seat to the the, the season um, to kind of help our um you know, the fact that we were starting CONCACAF Champions League, so it's such a disadvantage, um, you know, in in knockout stages versus Mexican teams that were mid-season when we're, we're, in our, we're in our preseason. And certainly a little bit of an improvement, but um, not as much of an improvement as I'd like. And again, I, you know, I'd love to see us, you know, for teams that are qualified for, for CCL, maybe get a chance to start um, a week or two earlier, you know, every week helps. MLS has always had limits on things like how many times a year teams can fly charter to prevent what the league calls a competitive advantage. Are you in favor of those restrictions or would you like to see unlimited charters allowed? Well, there's certainly big cost implications um, uh, to this this issue. I would certainly say when when we look at quality of play. It's not just spending more money on players dealing with travel in a different way would impact in my, in my opinion, quality of the games. I mean, especially from where we sit grant in Portland, you know, (laughs) this is a season where it's a, it's a tough time to ask me this question because, you know, we've got five on the road and I'm looking at LAFC who's off also opening on the road before their stadium opens and they're playing Seattle and LA galaxy and salt Lake. And here we are in Portland playing New York, Orlando, Dallas, and we're losing a, 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 a day of, of training every week. And, you know, we'd fly more than anybody else anyway. And obviously we knew what we signed up for when we're doing the stadium renovation, but it's a long winded way of saying of acknowledging if you take the cost aspect out of it, the charter would would be a big improvement, in my opinion, um, uh, for the quality of some of the games, especially you know for the the away team, um, you know, when, and, and, and especially given the the fact that our footprint um, geographically is so so big. I mean, travel's tough in our league. You are what I would call an involved owner. How often do you meet with your technical director, Gavin Wilkinson, and your coach, Giovanni Savarisi, and what gets discussed? Uh, well, with Gavin, I mean, I, I see him more than I see the head coach. Um, the, the, the process with, with the head coach is a weekly, you know, I, I, there's some communication over text, um, usually, or email, or maybe a call, and I always try to either congratulate or console um, in a positive way in both cases, the head coach after games. But we try to do a weekly lunch um, uh, in between games um, and removed from games where I sit down with with Gavin um, and Gio in a really informal way and talk about everything um, that's going on. And, And those are designed, Grant, just to, you know, let me have a better sense of sort of the pulse of the team and the pulse of the process and and how decisions are being made. And, you know, we talk about everything from academy to what's going on with our USL team to, you know, who's playing well and, and, and not, and what's going on with the, with the first team and what kind of decisions. And, you know, that's, it's, it's not, those meetings aren't me saying, boy, I think you should be doing this as much as they are uh, me just understanding why they're doing what they're doing, which, which I find is, helped me uh, tremendously in tough times. You know, there can be a lot of pressure for change when teams go through inevitable downturns and having conviction that, you know, we're approaching problems and issues with the right kind of mentality and the right kind of process, you know, bolsters me um, when, you know, sometimes when we're, when we're in those downturns. 
I'll give you a question that the Columbus coach, Greg Berhalter, gave to me once. Do you consider yourself a soccer expert? I do, um, but I'm an expert enough to know that I'll never be a technical person. I mean, I, 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 a, a coach, a good coach or GM will forget more about the nuts and bolts you know, on the field than I'll ever know. But I know I'm an expert enough to evaluate them, um, and I'm a lot more of an expert than the average person. I think the whole I'm not a soccer guy cliche that sometimes you hear from people on the business side. You know, look, if you're if you're running an MLS team and you say you're not a soccer guy, that's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm a soccer guy, and 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 uh, I, I I'm definitely a soccer expert, but I'm not playing fantasy soccer. <laughs> Um, and, and choosing a starting um, 11 and, 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 you know, picking the 18 and deciding if we're going to play in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3 um, uh, or 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-2-1 uh, or, you know, 4-3-3-4-4, whatever. I yeah. mean, so, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, th- that would be my answer. Okay. I'm not as much of an expert as Greg Berhalter is. <laughs> But, but I, you know, that, that I would say. Speaking of involved owners, there have been occasions when I have called you the Mark Cuban of MLS. For me, that's a compliment because I think we need more MLS owners who are really involved in, in public about their support of their team in the league. But when you hear that comparison, what do you think? Well, can we take out any current news about the Mavericks? And, yeah, you know, yeah, please Mark do. Right now please do. They're going through some, but look, I mean, I, if you take that out, I mean, you, you look at the, the Mavericks, what they were before Mark bought the team and um, what they are now, there's no question that he's been a successful owner. Um, that if I took any issue with that comparison, it would be, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not going on dancing with the stars and, <laughs> and doing stunts at Dairy Queens. He doesn't shy away from self-promotion. Um, you know, and in, in, in the TV shows and God love him for that. But I don't want to be thought of as a self promoter. I mean, I've been a face of the team more than other owners in the league. And I think that might be a big product of social media mm-hmm. um, and, and for better or for worse. And, you know, look, maybe uh, I, 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 I've done too much of that or not managed that in the appropriate way at times. But I'm certainly active and I'm certainly engaged um, and and I don't shy away from making myself available and accountable because I am. Uh, so, so I don't, cer- I certainly don't take it as an insult if you'd call me the Mark Cuban, <laughs> but I'm, 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 I wouldn't call myself a self promoter either. Well, you haven't been afraid to mix it up on Twitter over the years. And, and once again, I love that stuff. I find it highly entertaining. Uh, even the stuff that you might regret later on. Um, what is of your, you <laughs> <laughs> what's your stance these days on Twitter? Uh, Look, I mean, I my stance is that it's been uh, it's been a good tool on the whole. Um, and and I, when I decided to get on Twitter, uh, I you know it was I I could never do anything where I had people writing my tweets for me. That's just not me. That's not this organization. And and I'm also somebody who likes to engage, and I'm probably not conflict averse either. <laughs> But, you know, I've also made mistakes on Twitter. I mean, there have been times where I've done something that, or said something that, that could be taken out of context that's kind of kept me up at night and, you know, shot off a response where I've been uh, more or less ticked off and, and you know, regretted that. Um, doing anything in writing in the heat of the moment is not a good deal, and Twitter's so easy to do that with. Um, so it's taken some learning. I mean, somebody gave me the advice, look, if you wrestle with pigs, you're going to get dirty. Um, and I don't, you know, <laughs> there, there's some people I respond to that I probably shouldn't indignify. But at the same time, I don't, you know, I, I also, again, to the accessibility point, I don't mind having some interaction um, with everybody. Um, so, uh 
you know, there again, it's something that's been an evolution and a learning process. I will say that when I've take, taken prolonged hiatuses from Twitter, I've, I, I've slept better. <laughs> so what are one or two Twitter moments you, you might take back from having done? The Timbers Army thing after CONCACAF, uh, uh, after we got beaten at Olympio um, in Honduras, where we were taking that game extremely seriously we put a great lineup on the field um you know when we had a meaningful game against dallas coming up in a few days and uh whoever was running the timbers army official account you know which represents them you know took all sorts of shots at our gm and our coach and you know they don't care about this when we had a really bad result there and i i think i said stfu um (laughs) Uh, you know, or, you know, stand together for us. Right. <laughs> that means. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously then it's Merritt Paulson tells his, all his fans to, you know, you know, shut the F up. And and obviously that's not a headline that I'm looking for. That's not what I feel. I mean, I to me, it's it's who do you guys let run your account and put it out on your personal accounts, not on account that's supposed to represent a group and you know i should have you know people get upset after results i certainly do as well and i get that um so that would be a a a very good example um of 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 one uh that i regret and you know uh but you know there's been a couple of them um along the way there hasn't been just one (laughs) so so it's in especially on responses i i was you know, I was having issues with responses getting taken out of context and people want to. So I just said, look, I'll respond and leave them up for a day. And then I'm just whether it's an innocuous response or or anything that could be taken out of context, I'll try to get rid of my responses, even though everything digital has a half life of forever. Whether you delete it or not, we all know that. So if anybody wants to find them, they can find them. But, um, you know, I've kind of done that to some extent um, uh, uh, as a practice. But. Uh, you know, I, I'd say again on the whole, though. I mean, you'd be a better judge than me. I mean, and not just from entertainment value, because obviously people. I think MLS needs personalities, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I wish more players were bigger personalities. And I kind of like, you know, I could get a kick out of Zlatan coming in and being, you know, himself. And I, I don't think owners should be the personalities. But um, I also don't think that that people should be overly shy either. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, though. I have no problem with owners being personalities. I live in New York where George Steinbrenner was uh, certainly a personality for a long time. And I'd much rather have uh, a personality of of somebody who really cares about their team out there than we have a few owners in this league that I don't even know if they follow the sport that closely. So um, I'll take... I think most of of them would surprise you there. uh, But, but, um, you know, but... Again, I don't want to talk for individuals. I mean, I I think there are people who think I'm crazy for being on Twitter, and they might be right. But 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 uh, it'd be hard to find an owner that doesn't care and follow his team. You mentioned Zlatan. Um, In terms of him coming, best best TAM player in MLS history. (laughs) So that's my question. If you're the owner of a rival team in your conference and you see Zlatan Ibrahimovic sign. Not as a designated player, but as a TAM player making $1.5 million a year for two years in salary. Does that make you kind of scratch your head and wonder what's happening? Yeah, um, but at the same time, I don't think there's anything untoward that's going on. You know, and if they have an advantage because somebody wants to be in L.A., I'd use it too if I were them. So uh, it's hard to think of, of... of a guy like him not being a designated player and, and, and they've already got three designated players, but you know, if the deal's legitimate and I believe that it is, um, Hey, all, all the power to him. And, you know, it was certainly a good moment for the league. Um, uh, you know, at the, uh, at the first El Trafico, I guess it's being called, uh, you know, you can't, you know, sports, you can't make it up. I mean, it's the best reality TV there is. I mean, that's, Hollywood kind of stuff. So, um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be fine competing against the galaxy. I think when it's all said and done with him or without him, but, but he certainly added a lot to their team. I wanted to ask you about 
something that happened right after the end of last MLS season uh, when Caleb Porter decided to leave the Timbers as the coach. Did it surprise you when he decided that? Uh, yeah, it did. But, um, you know, other than that, uh, I don't want to get into other details other than, you know, there's not some big crazy story um, behind it other than what we talked about um, publicly okay. at the time. And, and uh, you know, he's ready for, for, for change, and I think that's a healthy thing, and I think it ultimately it's going to be healthy for the organization as well, and I think the world of him and, um, you know, continue to be in touch with him. Do you think we'll see him coach again in the league soon? Yes. I don't know how, how soon, but I'd be surprised if he's not. I think it'd be a mistake for people, uh, uh, you know, for him not to, 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 to be coaching in the league. He's a good American coach. On the women's side, you have become heavily involved in women's soccer, both as an owner of the Portland Thorns, which have been very successful, and at the league level in the NWSL. Uh, the Boston team folded this year, but there are reports that more teams will be added next year to the league. What's the prognosis for the NWSL, in your opinion? I think I think really positive. Um, and and I, that may seem counterintuitive coming off of, contraction year in the wake of Boston, but, you know, we're on, we're, we're in our sixth year. We're doubling the longest, you know, after this season, we will have doubled the longest tenure of any prior um, women's professional soccer league. We've got more stable ownership in our league right now than we've ever had. I think Salt Lake coming in is a huge positive credit to them, credit to Deloitte, Hansen for, uh, for, for stepping up in a last minute way. And they're about, uh, you know, they're, he, he told me the other day, they've sold out their home opener. It's tremendous. And they're doing it right and, and really treating their, their athletes well. Uh, and there's, there's, as you said, there's strong interest on at least two or three teams that would be fabulous owners that, that have the right infrastructure to be successful, um, you know, to come in in 2019. So for me, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, I, I, I feel really, really good about where we are. We still have work to do. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, and I, you know, I'll love the, the, the first meeting we have there where we can really just talk about the soccer. Um, and, and, and rather than, you know, some of the, the higher level strategic issues where we're ensuring our success and survival, but, I, I think we're on really firm ground right now. You know, we've seen several MLS teams uh, take on NWSL teams over the years. Uh, there's, you know, talk about Portland, Salt Lake, Houston. Um, and then Carolina, I think, I mean, whether it's MLS or USL is irrelevant. Anybody who's got the infrastructure, I'd say, you know, they've been very successful as well. And we've seen other MLS teams like Kansas City and New England have the option and turn it down to uh, take over NWSL teams. What's sort of the decision-making process that goes on when you're an MLS team deciding, do we want to have an NWSL team or not? Well, I can't, I can't talk for others about what their process is. I mean, certainly... When, when I first got the call when the league started, I said, um, you know, can we make this thing work? And, and uh, I, I certainly understand the value of having a successful women's professional sports league, um, not, not just for the women's uh, national team, but uh, for women's sport in general. And my analysis at the end of the day came down to, you know, look, I think in Portland, we've got as good a shot of making it work as anywhere. And it, without sounding high and mighty, I mean, I kind of, there was a, a, a little bit of a moral aspect to it is that, that came in as well. And, and, um, you know, it wasn't ideal time. It was not ideal timing for us. We, we moved John Spencer, um, away as head coach in the off season, um, after, uh, 2012 and, and it made a coaching change and, uh, 
you know, we're still getting ramped up on the men's side and we play, had plenty to do. And I certainly didn't want to do anything that we weren't successful at. And I didn't want to do anything that ultimately failed as an entity. But I, I also try not to let fear of failure drive decision making uh, either. And so it just came down to we're going to put our best foot forward and we can make it work. And we've shown other people how successful it can be. Uh, and, you know, credit to everybody else that's gotten involved. I don't want to talk about, you know, there can be very valid reasons for teams to pass. Um, I had hoped Kansas City definitely would do it. But, um, you know, I get it. Uh, but uh, there's, you know, there's going to be more that are going to do it. And there's going to be more teams like us that are doing it really, really well. I wanted to ask you about the fan bases for the Thorns and the Timbers. How do the fan, how do the, how does the fan base for the Thorns compare to the fan base for the Timbers? What's similar? What's different? Well, they're both passionate about soccer and knowledgeable about soccer and a vibrant atmosphere. Um, you know, I, I would say more is similar than it's different. And there's not much of a crossover as you might think. Uh, 20% of our season ticket holders, 10,500 now season ticket holders, uh, almost 11,000 for the Thorns are also timber season ticket holders. And, le- and, and less of those are people who are just on the wait list for the tim- timbers than you might think of as well. So it's a, you know, there's a much broader audience out there than I think in soccer audience than we'd realized. Um, yeah, I, there might be less of an edge, and I don't want to use that word pejoratively at the Thorns games than there are is at the Timbers games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and, and, and uh, that's something that's, that's hard to kind of articulate what I mean by that. But, you know, it's because there's not a negativity at the Timbers games. But there's right. very much an edge um, where, you know, that, that I, I don't often as feel quite as much um, at the thorns. But let me tell you, people are just as invested in the team and success and winning and losing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I'd say both fan bases get attached to players, um, but I, I've almost found that on the thorn side, it's harder explaining tr- trades of anybody or a loss of anybody than it is on the timber side. There seems to be even more of an a, a, attachment. Very, there. very interesting. So I wanted to wind up by asking you, we've seen what Atlanta has done in that soccer culture over the last year, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, we've seen what's happened in Kansas City. We've seen what's happened in Seattle. And obviously, we've seen a lot of Portland over the years. Why don't you make your best case for why Portland is Soccer City USA and not the others? Well, I mean, and that's it's it's that that whole thing is just now fo- a clickbait fodder, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, there there's there, I, I was, part of me wants to say I'm not even going to dignify it because there <laughs> there Soccer City USA isn't an earned title; it's a historical title here, right? I mean, dating back to the NASL, um, you know that that was a. Uh, a, a term that, that that was used historically to describe Portland that wasn't used to describe any of those other cities. So it's it's historically rooted. Um, so in terms of that that uh, you know that moniker itself, there's a difference with its attachment to us that's rooted in history that none of those other cities have. I mean, we were proud to call ourselves Soccer City USA before anybody wanted anything to do with soccer. <laughs> Uh, they probably would have paid to have soccer not close to their city's name, you know, in those days. So so that would be one aspect. If you're really trying to get at what's got the best atmosphere, um, you know, I, they're better people than me. I mean, I always to answer the question because I'm so inherently biased. I can't give you an objective opinion. I mean, I see it. I mean, I, but, but talk to players that play, you know, in all the stadiums. And there's a reason that Portland routinely gets graded the highest because it's louder and it's more electric. And um, there's that there's that electricity here um, in our atmosphere that that's a little different and a little bit unique. And, you know, it's that sunken bowl that captures the noise that's even going to do that more so when we when we do this stadium renovation that makes it a little bit different. But I hey, I love the fact that 
that these other cities are killing it. Um, and that's a good thing. And it's a good thing that people want to be called Soccer City USA. That's a great thing. And, and I'm the first guy to say, boy, hats off to Atlanta. I thought it was going to be an awful MLS market. Uh, <laughs> they came out of the gate. I really did. Because I think I thought it was an awful sports market. Huh. I lived there and I watched, you know, for years when the Braves were among the best team in Major League Baseball, nobody would show up to games. And it was hard to get anybody to show up to any of the teams there other than Georgia Tech football. Um, and, uh, and, and that city's changed and it's driven by young Atlanta and, 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 uh, it's been really, really cool to see. And there's no question that that's been an eye-opening thing for me and, and, and a lot of other people, because I got to tell you, if anybody predicted Atlanta would be what it is right now, they're lying. Uh, you know, I, I, I think people thought it could be good, but, but the fact that they're, you know, they've, they're surpassing Seattle in attendance and they've got the great atmosphere as well. I mean, that's, that's unreal. Well, Merritt Paulson, good luck the rest of the season in MLS and NWSL. And thanks for coming to us today from Soccer City, USA. Thanks, buddy. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Merritt Paulson as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. Recent guests include Becky Sauerbrunn, John Strong, Kay Murray, and Stuart Holden. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.